Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking to the fabulous Reiki guide and meditation teacher, Rachel Lyle. Rachel's mindfulness practice is so easy, you can start it right away and immediately feel centered and balanced. Rachel's here today to discuss how she struggled her whole life with anxiety and depression, and now she's a wellness advocate and uses different modalities to ground, heal, and reclaim any part of your life. She has amazing energy that I'm sure you'll be able to feel from wherever you are. She's just this great spirit, and she has a fabulous surprise for you at the end of the show, so please make sure you listen all the way through the podcast. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So you are a Reiki teacher in LA. Now you say that you've suffered from a lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression. Did you know when you were little that you suffered from that? Or is that something as an adult, you're like, oh, I was like that as a child. Oh no, I was a, I was a unique unicorn. I felt that was a big part of my stories. I felt very, very different and unique from a very young age. I suffered from anxiety and I didn't know what it was for sure at the time, but I had a lot of experiences of just unfortunate timing, getting really anxious at a sleepover or being in class and feeling like a panic rising and had no tools to deal with it. It wasn't something I grew up in the South and it wasn't something that was talked about really. And I kind of just felt like I was different or bad or broken. And, you know, it's just been a very, it was, it was and sometimes still can be a very defining characteristic of my life. I was like, oh, well, I'm anxious, uh, you know, oh, well, I have panic. And so, yes, <laughs> to answer your question, I was very, very aware of it growing up. That's so interesting. My podcast launches today and the very beginning of it, I talk about that's how I felt as a child, but mm. I, that's how I felt. I felt different and yeah. part of and uncomfortable yeah. my skin. I didn't have the language for it at the time, but yeah. I panic attack. So, and I just thought, I, I, anyway, I went yeah. to one PTA meeting once and they talked about the middle child syndrome. She took me with her and uh, how the oldest gets all the privileges and the youngest gets all the attention. And I thought the reason I felt different is they said, don't forget your middle child because they don't get any attention. And I thought, oh, that's why I feel different because I'm the middle child. Like I grew up thinking that's why. Yeah. 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 So, and there was an interesting, there was an interesting thing for me too, where you know, I don't think it was overtly or explicitly said, but I just, I learned to be really embarrassed about it. It was like, as if anxiety, you know, was just something to be embarrassed about as if it wasn't something that other people were dealing with, you know, it was, it was just that message that got to me. And so the, the shame that really surrounded that was, was tough as a kid, not to mention going through puberty, <laughs> which in of itself is hard. So that was, it was, got really tangled together. Did you tell your parents or your mom that you were anxious? Did anyone know? I did. And I mean, I would say that anxiety is something that like runs in my family system. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but I think that some of the overwhelm that came up for me was, was, I mean, it was intense. It was, you know, I'm a big, I feel a lot. I always have, and I'm very sensitive. And so they knew when they were supportive, but I just feel like at that time, they're just really, especially where I was, there was so little information and it was like, okay, well, we want to help you, but we don't necessarily know how and like what to do. And so continue to add to the story of othering of just like, ugh, no one gets it. And I'm, you know, all that. So um, what are they, I, for some reason, I'm flashing to like a typical Southern family, like here, yeah. anxiety, like, yeah. eat sugar. I don't know. Like, yeah. apple pie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And in fact, it's funny because I've often said, like, I wish someone had asked me how much sugar I was consuming because there were things, there were like, there were external circumstances in my life that were really causing a lot of the anxiety as well as just kind of some of my own internal. But like, I was eating so much sugar because that's just what we lived on. Funny, it just is. I, I love sugar. So maybe that's- I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, genuinely like a little bit addicted to it. And I, I work on that still to this day, but it's just like, if someone had known that I would consume entire bags of marshmallows at night, they might've like connected Maybe it wouldn't have cured the anxiety, but I think it would have helped. <laughs> but you live and you learn. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the kid. My my son loves sugar like me, and my daughter, yeah. and not so much. I, I don't. Yeah. Know. Who knows? So what did what did you do with that? Why did I mean? Did you just turn into yourself, or you? I used to like hide how I felt and just superficially yeah. had friends. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. That was you know I. I mean, several different things happened. One was that I was put on anti-anxiety medication pretty young, which again, like I just, it, it was, it was, it was what happened and that's fine. But I just wish there maybe would have been like a larger conversation about like a holistic approach, but that was another thing that just wasn't talked about. And so that added to like, it was just a secret. I felt like I was just carrying like all the secrets. And so I had to keep myself pretty protected because if someone would like get in, I couldn't let that happen. So I had, I had like one or two lovely, lovely friends and one that I really was really close with growing up. But other than that, I just, I kept people really distanced. I was, you know, I mean, I'm Southern and I also, I have a background in acting. And so I'm great at pretending I can perform for you and I can make you think that everything is great, but people didn't know me that well necessarily. And, you know, I went through college that way a little bit and just wonderful people I was connecting with. But I feel like as I got older, people started to poke back and be like, you're not sharing much about yourself. Like started to see through like my, my song and dance of like, wait, but you're not, you're not adding to this. You're kind of just, you're deflecting or whatever the case may be. So it started, I got started to get like holes poked in that. So it wasn't working as well as I got into kind of my early twenties. So the chameleon kind of person. So what was the catalyst that made you just... I guess, get help or what? Yeah. A couple different things. I moved, I went to school in New York City, which for me was amazing. I loved it. Absolutely amazing. And it really did kind of, I think, encourage like the go, go, go mentality of like, continue to just pursue and don't stop and don't think and don't take care of yourself. And that's just my experience. And, you know, everyone can have different experiences, but I moved to Los Angeles after college and there just started to be, like a pay, like the pace slowed down a bit. And there were a lot of people here that were interested in things that I was always interested in, but like maybe wasn't letting myself pursue like kind of some of the spiritual practices or just wellness in general. I, I, there was a more of a focus or more of a space for that here. So I kind of like let that in a little bit more. And I started to pursue some things I was curious about in terms of wellness. And I also, I, I met my therapist who I've been with since I moved here, who's I just love her. She's great. And she really, she saw through a lot of my BS and really helped me, you know, knew I wanted a bigger life. And she really helped me find a lot of different ways to get there. So, but I do think for me, like Los Angeles was, was it had Los Angeles for better or for worse. It has a lot of things that are challenging, but it really does. There's a slower pace here and there's just more of an acceptance for alternative practices and you know, just kind of going a little bit more inward, which, which really supported me. So what were the spiritual practices that you discovered? First was meditation. Meditation was something that had been suggested to me for a long time. 
people were like, I think I could help you. And I was like, maybe, <laughs> but didn't really super commit to it. And then I kind of just, I started, you know, I started on the Headspace app and would do that uh, by myself. And they have like a lovely introduction to mindfulness meditation specifically, but I started getting more interested and getting more involved and was taking classes in my community and connected with some teachers and uh, just got deeper and deeper into that process. And I found that incredibly eye-opening and continue daily. I find it eye-opening daily to have a meditation practice. Somewhere along the way, I just felt some weird call to learn about Reiki and Reiki healing. I had truly never heard of it. <laughs> like I'm not someone who has, you know, I had no knowledge of it, but it was just like, it was one of the, my first feelings of kind of just gut, gut pull to something. I was like, okay, I can't explain this. Don't know what it is. Seems pretty weird. And yet I had an interest. And so I followed that interest and I got certified for Reiki one. And then about a year later, I got certified for Reiki two. And then a year or two ago, I got my Reiki master certification and just loved the, mis the, the mysticism around it. You know, I don't know why it works. I don't, I'm not, science is not necessarily my forte. I, energy, I kind of understand, but I have a feeling of energy now. And I see in myself, it helped me so much. And I, I work with clients now and I see it affect change and heal and move. And I don't get it at all, which I love. <laughs> That's so helpful for me is to have something that I cannot name and put into a box. I need, you know, I need a good balance of both. I love, I'm very logical and I love lists and I love planning and mindfulness really helps that part of my brain, which is like, I can, I can show, share the neuroscience behind why that's helping my anxiety versus this thing, which is like, I really don't know how it works, but it feels great. And I love it. And I feel so called to continue to share it. So those are my two real pathways in, as well as I'll just say in that time, building a community and building a community that knows me and accepts me and loves me and that would that is as nourishing and healing as as everything else and and I'm grateful that I really have found that community here in LA through just different people and pathways. Yeah, that's very very important. I just want to back up for a minute in case anybody yeah. know what Reiki is. Do you want to give Absolutely. So, I like to compare Reiki to, you know, I feel like acupuncture is a little bit more well known these days, but Reiki works on similar, they're called the meridian points, the energy points in our body. Basically, we're made up of energy. And, you know, we feel that energy when you like, you rub your hands together and you hold them apart, you can feel energy and we're just all energy all around us. And so what happens with us as humans, when we get anxious, when we go through a trauma, we get injured, is that uh, the energy gets stuck and stagnates in the body. And Reiki, just like acupuncture, works to get that energy flowing again. So what I find in my work is that where the energy is stuck in the body is really indicative of like what kind of trauma or emotion might be there. And when I started my energy work on myself, I was like, it became clear of where all I was holding all my different stuff, did have some did have some trauma in my past that had to be worked through. So it really is like it's a very, very gentle. I'll just say too, it's um it's a Japanese modality. It's an ancient Japanese practice that was passed, you know, down from generation to generation and it made it its way to America. And my understanding is that it's pretty well respected in Japan and it's used in hospitals and it's really, it's like very much a healing modality. And that's actually becoming true in America too. It has been, it, Reiki is being used in hospitals and just much more mainstream, which is amazing. So it's very gentle. Reiki is only like for the highest good. It's not, you know, it's not, necessarily scary or uncomfortable, but it does, you can often in a session, feel your energy get moving. You might feel lighter and just like, just less stuck, which is why I love it so much. 
that was a great explanation for that. Thank you. Since COVID and we're all on Zoom and different, are, are you seeing clients or patients or however? Yes. Now stick with me. I told you, I don't know how it works, but you know, from my earliest training, I was trained and with the understanding that it can be sent, Reiki can be sent uh, through space and time. So I do sessions virtually and, you know, I send, I send, I send Reiki to people all the time that are far away from me. Like my sister lives in Spain. And when she was in labor, I sent her Reiki from here in Los Angeles. And so I do my sessions via zoom and I usually have, I have clients that have come with me that we've worked virtually for a while, but when my clients, if someone comes to me for the first time, they're skeptical. And usually at their end, they're like, why, like, why does, why did I feel that? Like, we're not even in the same city. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, but it works. That's why I do it. So. Yeah. That, no, that's so great. And mm-hmm. you're from Louisiana. You mm-hmm. must have skeptical family. <laughs> Certainly do. Although I will say very supportive, very, very supportive. And, but what's, what's so surprising is that when I told my grandmother, who's, I think she's, 84, 85, born and raised in Louisiana. She was like, oh, I, I was kind of the guinea pig for my friend. She calls it Reiki. She was like, I was the guinea pig for my friend who was a Reiki teacher. And it felt great. And I, and I thought it was great. I'm so happy you're doing it. And I was like, oh, amazing. I had, I'm very shocked. And, but it's, it's made its way down there as well. No, it's, it's everywhere. I, I see yeah. a lot more well-known than people give credit yeah. Are there other modalities that you use besides Reiki? So, you know, for myself, I, I'm someone who I'm just deeply, endlessly curious about wellness and well-being, And so I am genuinely always trying to learn. I'm doing a course right now. I just, I, I am happiest when I'm learning new things and I, and you know, sometimes the kookier, the better. I like to stay grounded, but for me personally, and I just like to use myself as kind of like a a guinea pig, but I've been, I, you know, through Reiki, I've really opened up my own intuition and, and find myself, uh, you know, in sessions, just like getting images or ideas or just different ways of information that gets transmitted that I, that I share with clients and we have conversations about, and it's super interesting. And I'm doing a lot of work right now to kind of, to deepen some of that, but I, I would say that what usually what I do in my personal life, I end up bringing into my sessions. And and a lot of what I've been doing recently is um, using energy similar to Reiki, but a little bit different to really clear like limiting beliefs and stuck beliefs. I I think it's all the same energy, but I think the intentionality of really focusing on what's not working for me and where it's living in my body and how I want to move forward. And, and then with the energy, putting in positive replacing them with positive beliefs. I have found that really, really amazing in the past year specifically. And that's something I've been working on bringing into my client sessions. And then, you know, and then I feel like my meditation practice, I I love working with beginners in meditation. It's something I feel really called to trying to make meditation be really not intimidating, interesting, easy to start. I really want to like make it as, as, you know, just comfortable as possible. And I, I, do a lot of combination of my meditation Reiki work and using my personal practice and what I know about meditation to help bring about some of that healing as well in my sessions, as well as just working with people to build their own. I had someone, I worked with a teacher years ago now to really solidify my own practice one-on-one. And I found that really transformative and, and she really helped me bring in the just like the, the tenets of mindfulness, really mindfulness is not just a meditation. Mindfulness is a lifestyle. It's a practice that we can do in every part of our lives and our lives. And she really helped me 
bring it into my life, bring it into my relationships, bring it into everything. And so I work with people one-on-one who want like a deeper foundational knowledge and also just like a coaching of, of how we can translate that into day-to-day life. Why don't you talk a little bit about mindfulness? I, yeah. I think it's such a broad, broad topic. Yeah. And people think, oh, mindfulness and how we can use that now in our daily life and in our practices with, with everything. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, it's something that I feel like that word gets thrown around everywhere and which is great in some ways. And I think does a disservice in some ways. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of debate and conversation in in the mindfulness community about that, because of course we want more people, but anyway, (laughs) that's a different conversation, but mindfulness, I like to define mindfulness specifically as paying attention on purpose to the present moment with a kind, curious awareness and a willingness to be with things as they are. So what I just described is not meditation. It's just, it's a way of being. It's a way of placing attention on the present moment. It's a way of uh, leaving our heads and coming into our bodies often because our bodies are often are always in the present moment and using, you know, just really, really having a new relationship with the present moment. And I find that the words kind and curious are so important when it comes to mindfulness because for someone like me, my First of all, I was barely ever in the present moment. I lived in the past or the future. I was either, you know, I was either anxious about the future, what was to come or depressed about something in the past and what I hadn't done right and just really not being here. And so if I was here, it was usually with like a judgmental and mean attention, often, honestly, mean, you know, of judging myself of, of what, what I wasn't doing right, how I was wrong and all that stuff. And so when it was presented to me, that we can start to re-relate to the present moment, to ourselves, to our minds with an attitude of absolute curiosity. Like what is actually here right now? Not what am I thinking about? Not what I'm worrying about later, but what's here right now. And it's, I find it to be one of the simplest as well as one of the most profound things because the difference between going on a walk with my dog and worrying about tomorrow or having, you know, finding like the perfect comeback to that comment that someone made to me earlier, spending that way walking for 15 minutes versus spending 15 minutes practicing mindfulness, which might mean I notice the sounds around me. I might be curious about, you know, the person that passed me and what they're feeling or saying hi to them or a flower I see on the street or nature, that's a very different way to spend 15 minutes. And so that can be applied to literally anything that can be applied to how I'm eating my meal. You know, I am a, I'm a fast eater. (laughs) I am just, I have a lot of, you know, as a lot of us do, I have a lot of my own eating habits. And I think that for something that like so many things for something that could bring me so much joy and does bring me so much joy, why am I rushing through it? Why am I not paying attention? Why am I on my phone while I'm eating? and not tasting the food that I maybe just spent an hour cooking. And it's just all these small ways. And it's never about like being bad or good or doing right or wrong, but just bringing this open interest to what's really here right now. And and that has brought so much joy into my life. That was a long explanation. No, Um, it it was, it was great. Okay, Um, good. No, I actually was completely listening. I, I I loved your explanation of about paying attention to the moment and staying now and appreciating the moment. Yeah. Whatever what I will, is. Yeah, whatever it is. And, and and I think the end of the definition that I mentioned, like a willingness to be with what is, is really important too, because it's not necessarily about becoming complacent or accepting unacceptable behavior, but it's about a- acknowledging that what's here right now is happening 
I'm, I, I'm a human being. I can't change it. Usually there are things that are, are within my power and there are things that are not within my power. And so rather than having a very kind of combative and tense relationship with that truth, if I kind of loosen my grip and I can accept like, okay, this is what's here. Maybe I don't love it, but it is, it, it is. And I will be with it. And then maybe make a choice about how I want to respond from that way. It's a lot. Mindfulness really helps me respond to life rather than react to life because I spent so much time reacting from a place of anxiety and a place of fear and like making sure I needed things to be a certain way. But when I take a breath and, and have a willingness just to see what's here and be with it for a second, I can make a choice that I can make a choice that often much more aligns with my values and with what uh, I want to be doing. Yeah. You, you made me think of two different things. One is God is in the pause. <laughs> yep. yep. The pause. Yep. Take breath. And the other is, uh, it's all very Eckhart Tolle, which I always think I say his name wrong. So I picture. Yeah. Him. I'm not even fully sure either. <laughs> I spell, Eckhart Tolle. I don't know. I, I spell his name correctly in my head, but it's very much uh, everything in the moment. Yeah. It is acceptance of the moment, but. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll just say too, that, you know, all of what I just said is not easy in my opinion, in my experience, it is not easy to leave the mind, which I've had 30 years of training, basically, that like I should live in the mind and plan and plot and worry. It's not easy. And that's why meditation and mindfulness meditation is a great way to strengthen that muscle. Uh, it's really like a muscle like anything else. We work it out. And so while meditation is not required for mindfulness, it's something that I find when I sit in a meditation practice and a mindfulness meditation practice, I am much more able throughout the day to come back into the present moment to notice like, oh, wow, I'm very much lost in thought planning my life four years from now. <laughs> Let me come back here and be in this moment with, you know, my husband or whatever the case might be. Yeah. I find that when I'm meditating regularly, I'm okay with everything that's happening, mm -hmm. going on. When yeah. you tell people that you're a Reiki master and a meditation teacher, what's the most common question that you're asked? That's such a great question. I would say, I honestly kind of feel like I, there is more acceptance than I think I would have thought. And that's not even just in California. Like I, I find in general, there's, I feel like the most common response is a curiosity. And I don't know if that's because, especially people who know me have seen like a real transformation in my life. And there's a curiosity about like, what, so what is she doing? And, but I find that maybe there's just like a curiosity to, to try something different that might help. And so I think I get a lot of like, can like you try it on me? <laughs> like, what does it mean? And like, can you, can you like, can you do it to me? Or what is it? What is it? And I feel like that's kind of the most common one. See, I could see that like, oh, yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. So what made you make the leap from acting to what you're doing now? That's, that's a big leap. It is a big leap. It's so interesting. I joke because I went to a very good theater school in New York and it's not, it wasn't a waste of money at all, but I just joke now with, you know, my family, like, well, <laughs> took a different turn, but it was really informative in so many ways. And I learned so much about myself. And I learned, I think that for me growing up and performing was all about community. And it was all about uh, making the connection with the people I was performing with. It was like little families. And that was so valuable to me. And I, and I, and I think I needed, I, I wanted a pathway to discover myself a little bit better by, you know, learning about characters and inhabiting people. And I just, I'm very interested in the human experience, the human psyche, very, very curious about it in general. But when I graduated from college and I moved to LA, I was kind of pursuing it. I was very quickly realizing it wasn't really like what made my 
heart saying it, it just didn't feel great. I loved like the experience I'd had in the past and that wasn't true anymore. So I actually then kind of, I, I then moved into the nonprofit world because I knew I wanted to be more of service. It was like, that was kind of what was calling me. And I was in the nonprofit world and still am mostly transitioned, but I'm still kind of doing work because I believe in it, but really looking to work the nonprofit I worked with and still work with is working with kids and civic education and a lot of social emotional work. And so as at that time, especially as I dove into a little bit of the social emotional work and seeing how important it is for, you know, all of us to get these tools to you know, take care of ourselves and understand each other, relate to each other, have compassion, empathy, all of these amazing things. I just kind of was going into my own personal deep dive here in LA of all the things I could get my hands on. And it grew a little bit out of, you know, with meditation, it was Reiki. I was sharing it with friends. People were asking me about it. And about two years ago now, I, after doing that for a while and sharing it kind of informally, I was like, no, this actually, this, this really lights me up. This really is where I feel called. And I had not had that experience before. Like I really, it was a diff- it was a new experience. And one that I wasn't sure I would ever have of just like, it's not perfect. I don't love everything about it, but I feel truly like in my body and in my purpose when I'm sharing mindfulness, when I'm giving someone a Reiki session, when I'm communicating and and hearing someone, you know, kind of like this podcast, like in my sessions, like talk very vulnerably and openly and, and help them help guide and suggest and watch people have their own transformations and, you know, and being, feeling empowered and healing and all that. It just really lights me up. So I still have my feet in a couple different doors, but I'm most of the time doing this meditation and, and work in the Reiki community. So it's, it's been a very, windy up and down interesting I don't know I don't know how any of it happened but here we are yeah so what would you tell somebody that isn't doing what they really want to be doing but they haven't made that leap of faith yet I think something that was suggested to me when I was feeling a little bit confused was someone asked me like what is it that you do in your free time that you do because you enjoy and that was so clear to me. You know, I spent I weekends, every podcast I listened to was like self-help. Everything I did on the weekend was like a workshop or a this or a that. And, you know, it didn't really occur to me that that something I was that interested in could be something I pursued. And, but I think once I've made that connection, I, I needed support to, because for me, it's a huge leap of faith and there's a lot of fear and programming and, you know, stuff on top of it. I didn't think I could just like, step out of a job where I was already making money and do something that like lit me up. It just didn't seem practical or okay. And I was like all these different fear, 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 fear. So I got a lot of support from some amazing women that helped me walk through that. And I didn't do it alone. And it was like, yeah, I'm scared. I know it's what I want. I think it's what I'm best at. I think I can really help people, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't just like, I woke up, I was like, perfect. Let me do this now. It was scary for me, especially to put my heart and all of my energy into something that, that you that just, that I loved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if I'm not, if I don't love it, then it's easier just to kind of like do it, like wake up in the morning and do it. And, but it's, it's very vulnerable. But there's your message of hope right there. This is what you love doing. And you're doing it. Yeah. And yeah. walk through your fear, but you didn't do it alone. You did it Mm-mm. with the community and the help of all these friends. Yep, absolutely. That's so fabulous. Yeah. Here you are, you're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm, you know, if if you had known me five years ago, 
it, this would be a surprise. And it is sometimes still a surprise to me. You know, I'm, I got married two months ago and this just, that was going to be my next question. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll get to pivot in, uh, during COVID. So exactly. you keep going with that. You got married two months ago. And- yeah. Just to say that, like, again, if you had told me five years ago, 10 years ago that I would be married and, you know, in this path, of something that I love. Again, it's not perfect. It's not every day. I don't wake up like I'm not Snow White. I don't wake up with like sparkles and animals singing to me, but I do wake up with a sense of purpose and joy that I get to kind of tap into during the day and have a relationship that's really healthy and flourishing. And those things were not in my vision. I couldn't have seen them, you know, living kind of in a place of anxiety and a little bit more darkness and just fear, just living in fear that they didn't seem, these opportunities didn't seem possible to me. And so my group of friends too, you know, so loving and supportive, I think equally as surprised that, I, that I'm, you know, married and, and, and everyone is so happy and, and has seen me like really step into my own over the past however many years, but we joke sometimes about like, wow, what a shock. <laughs> it's so great. So yeah. everybody gets to change. Like, mm-hmm. Clearly, you are an example at coming from that kind of lifelong struggle of depression, yeah. anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I don't know you, uh, you know, here, and I see you as this person. Yeah. No, and and yet here you are on this other side, and it's just fabulous. Like, you are yeah. that example. Yeah, well, thank you. And I think that, you know, what really comes up for me and what's been really important for me is that. I was, I defined myself in a very specific way. I was an anxious person and that was my story. And, and even if I wasn't open about it, that's how I saw myself. And through my work and through, you know, all of my own healing work and working with people and, and getting all that done and therapy and all that good stuff. I, I don't see myself as an anxious person anymore. I see myself as someone who has anxiety sometimes because I'm a human being. Um, and that's been one of the most pivotal switches for me. It's like, I am not, I am not one thing. I am not just this one thing. I am a whole range of things that includes joyful and powerful and funny and all the things that includes everything. And I think I kept myself so locked into a box because I thought I had to, I don't know exactly why, but to know that we all get to be all the things. We are not one thing. We are not our worst day. We are not our best day. We are, you know, we are the whole scope of human experience. And that has been, that's, that's for me, that's freedom. Yeah. And I love that you keep talking about community because the number one message I got from interviewing a person a week for 52 weeks is community and those blue zones where people live the longest and the happiest, all about community and have that community where people are there. I Mm -hmm. mean, we have, I have, I've done gratitude lists every day with this group of women and we, none of us are ever in it at the same time. That's the thing. You know, everybody goes through yep. stuff, but we don't all go through it at the exact same time. So exactly. And uh, just to be honest and open with each other is, is just so huge. That's something, even like when I was looking, like kind of reading about your podcast too, and, and, and talking before about it, you know, like you, you talk about, or you say, you ask the question of like, what's the point of it all? And I do think for me, so much of it is community and it's, it's what happens in community. It's, it's compassion, it's empathy, it's connection, it's joy, it's sorrow, but it's all in community. And I just think we're not meant to do any of this alone. I really don't believe that. I tried it, wasn't great. <laughs> like I tried to just be like a party of one. And the more I let in 
and to let myself be in a community, the more vibrant and my life felt and alive that I felt. And I just think that, you know, for me, all the purpose happens in community. And that is a perfect place to end. I, I absolutely love that. Rachel, thank you so much for being on 52 Weeks of Hope. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. A great conversation to have today about hope. Definitely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of 52 Weeks of Hope and take with you the mindfulness practice and ability to appreciate the moment that Rachel so eloquently laid out for all of us. She's also giving away so graciously to the first five listeners who share the social media podcast teaser for her episode, a free 30-minute Reiki session. All you have to do is make sure you're following both her Insta, which is at practice with Rachel Lyle, and also 52 Weeks of Hope on Insta. Then repost our teaser tagging both hashtag 52 Weeks of Hope and inspiring podcasts. Anyone after that who mentions this episode will get a significant discount on an hour-long session with Rachel, which is incredible. Remember, you have to be following both of us to win. Hopefully you can take forward into this week of thanks the messages Rachel gave us of self-awareness to be present in the moment and to be mindful of where you are and what we're doing with a kind, curious awareness. I'm grateful to you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hope. Be sure to tune in next week with Imam Jihad Turk joins us in this incredible podcast where he takes us on his journey of overcoming the stereotype of being Muslim in America. Jihad's amazing. He brings together so much community everywhere. He's worked with the White House, well, not this White House, but with prior White Houses. And he's worked with the State Department. He's traveled all over the world as a tireless advocate for peaceful coexistence and understanding. So join us next week for this impactful podcast with Imam Jihad Turk, where he easily reminds us about community and how alike we all are, helping us find meaning and purpose. So until next week, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a positive review, and send us feedback on our website, 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.